Engaging Leader, Episode 133, No Joke, Using Humor for Effective Communications, featuring David Nihill. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers, and happy April Fool's Day. We've got a funny guest today to talk about a seriously important topic, how to use humor to drive engagement in all of your communication opportunities. David Nihill went from being deathly afraid of public speaking to hosting a business conference, regularly performing stand-up comedy, and winning storytelling competitions in front of packed houses. And he did it by learning from some of the best public speakers in the world, stand-up comedians. His new book is Do You Talk Funny? Seven Comedy Habits to Become a Better and Funnier Public Speaker. The book tells David's story and distills what he learned about how even non-funny people can apply key principles of stand-up comedy to speaking engagements, presentations, and other business content to make it funnier and more engaging. David Nihill, welcome to the show. Good, thank you. How are you? I'm terrific. David, in the past, the rule of thumb has been that humor is was too risky in business communications. Often it seemed inappropriate or likely to backfire. What's the reality today? I think the reality today, and, and this is from someone with a dodgy Irish accent and maybe an Irish perspective here, but I've been resident in the States for a while, is it just, it's becoming more and more a means to drive engagement and a way to stand out and grab attention in an ever-increasing ADD environment where we're all just kind of scrolling through our phones and, and people are trying to grab attention on mediums like like Facebook or Twitter, where people are going for entertainment, they realize they kind of have to be that entertainment and that there's an expectation there, not just for information, but for infor- uh, sorry, in, in for entertainment mixed in there as well, what's being called infotainment all of a sudden. So rather than being viewed as risky, it's now being viewed that it's nearly riskier to ignore building humor into the content you're producing. In the book, you provide some really interesting statistics about how humor has become so important uh, in the business world. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah, I mean, there was some great ones around leadership where there was a number of surveys that found in around the same figures, 98, 99% as high as CEOs preferred job candidates with a sense of humor. And when they further surveyed, another 84 per those of those very same CEOs thought that candidates with a sense of humor actually do better work. And um, Liz uh, Wiseman and Greg McEwen had some other great findings in their best-selling book, Multiplier, but they basically said a key trait to every great leader is a great sense of humor, and that was one of their core findings. So the message has kind of been getting out there more and more and loud and clear that people value humor, and you're nearly expected to, to use a level, and when you do, you'll be viewed as being more engaging and more effective in your job, whether it's the role you're completing or leading other people in their roles. Hmm. Now, to use humor... Do you have to be a comedian or at least be naturally funny? I don't think so. It's funny. If you ask a bunch of people in Ireland, are they naturally funny? We'll all probably say, oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) As you know from being there. Um, But it's funny. When I ask the same thing in the U.S., I'm always surprised by how many people say, no, 
I'm not funny in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, the funny <laughs> thing with it is humor is a skill. Like when comedians are developing their stuff, like there's probably at the moment there's in around fifty thousand people in the U.S. that call themselves comedians. And very few of those will make it famous or be very well known as comedians, but all of them will become one thing as they clock up the hours in putting in their time, really, in developing their craft. They, every one of them will become funnier. They're nearly a living embodiment and proof that humor is a skill that can't be learned. So even if you think you're not naturally funny, you certainly can become it or can embrace it a bit more, and you 100% can become more funny on stage. Um, but the, the nice thing is the same techniques you use on stage, then they come at play in your personal life a bit, as well as you know how to structure information and you realize, okay, it's not as risky if I stay away from certain topics or I, I format the comedy I'm using or the structure in a certain way. So there's learning there to be taken from people who are funny, uh, even if you think you're not funny, and you certainly can develop that skill. So with the right techniques, even somebody who doesn't think themselves as funny can actually learn to be funnier. Oh, 100%. I've seen guys in comedy clubs that I would have bet my life on not being funny. <laughs> like just looking at their feet, didn't make eye contact, like very socially inept, I would have said like, this guy is not going to be funny too. <laughs> and they go on stage and absolutely crush it for 10 minutes with people falling over in laughter, come off stage and just go back to being really unfunny again. And so when you watch guys like that, you're like, well, there's obviously a process and a structure behind this because this guy isn't like this all the time. How is he doing it? Like, what's he using to replicate this? Now, your personal story bears that out too, doesn't it, David? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, like Irish people, I suppose I would have said I was a little bit funny, but for me, <laughs> it went to pieces uh, when I went on stage, like absolutely fell to smithereens. I was an absolute bumbling, shaking embarrassment. And I had a big fear of public speaking. But I was also a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell with his 10,000 hour rule and, and people like A.J. Jacobs and Tim Ferriss who've gone deep into topics in a, in a short period of time and, and applied the 80-20 principle rule to, to figure out what are the real key things to lead to the biggest improvement. And what it came up with was, I think comedians are the true masters of public speaking. And with Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule, they seem to be the ones that are on stage the most and bring an audience through the biggest roller coaster of emotions and, and really get more engagement than any other form of public speaker. So, yeah, I came up with the terrible plan to uh, leave my corporate job and pretend to be an accomplished comedian called Irish Dave uh, in America for a year, <laughs> crashing as many shows, festivals and clubs as I could, uh, which was definitely not a good plan. And one I didn't tell my parents or family or friends about for nearly a year because I'm like, they're going to be making fun of me forever. <laughs> Especially when they're like, you left your corporate job to become a comedian with no intention of actually being a comedian. Uh, that doesn't sound like a good plan. But to be honest, I just wanted to get over that fear and I wanted to see could I document what I learned along the way to help other people and all these people facing the same challenges. But ultimately, all those people that were that were really given boring presentations and they didn't intentionally give boring presentations, like they didn't appear at a conference and put everybody to sleep on purpose. <laughs> like, it's clear they weren't, they didn't want to do that. They just didn't know any other way. And, you know, it's hard. The more senior you get, in leadership and business, the less likely you are to get very honest, critical feedback around any form of public speaking. So as these guys get more powerful, less and less people will go, uh, that really sucked. You bored the pants off that room of 5,000 people. And, and even from your own family, it's very difficult or your own peers or, or your friends to get them to take the time and sit down and watch your talk. 
Um, so I realized that when I put a course together on this to test the idea for a book, like, you know, some of the guys I was getting were on Shark Tank and were on TV programs and were hugely high level of leadership positions, but they didn't know these techniques. So I was like, if guys who are that successful don't know this, the average person must be really screwed. Um, so but I better start getting some of this information out there. So I, it just seems like an absolutely most painful thing you could do to yourself if you, if you don't want to be a comedian and you're afraid of public speaking to go decide I'm going to go step up in front of the hardest audience there could be which is somebody that's expecting you to make a joke every 12 seconds yeah, 12 seconds was it yeah. as painful as it, at the beginning as it sounds uh, yes um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to tell you it wasn't but yeah the first time was absolutely horrendous uh, it was me like rubbing the microphone around my head like a lunatic, nervously shaking and pacing around the place. But <laughs> the funny thing was like it, it, it very quickly got better. And, and even some of the stuff I did that night, like I, some of it hit and worked. And I kind of restructured it as I learned from interviewing comedians and talking to comedians. I kind of learned a format for doing it essentially that made it a lot less painful. And, and that was by putting together a list of your own stories and your own personal experiences and things that hold true to you that you actually like talking about and normally would get a reaction from your friends or colleagues in a social environment that wasn't on stage. And then just rewriting those stories in their shortest, most effective form. So essentially going, all right, what's the funny part to that story and how do I get there as quickly as possible? And then rather than using witty observations or trying to be Jerry Seinfeld, it was then going back on stage and realizing, okay, I'm never going to be the best comedic writer uh, how do I up engagement with these guys in a way that doesn't make me feel nervous? And how do I avoid that moment when everyone's like, he's trying to be funny? That didn't work. Because I think of a big point of a big fear of people embracing and using humor is I don't want the joke to bomb. I don't want it to fail. I don't want to be standing there and it's just met with a sea of groans and people looking in their smartphones when I try and be funny. And the nice thing is when you use your own stories, you're not ever seen to be trying to be funny. It just happens to be a funny element within that story. And worst case, if people don't laugh at the funny element, it's still a story. And every one of us would much rather hear a story than see a collection of, of charts and graphs explaining a problem or explaining the, the pitch that somebody's presenting or explaining the, the issue that they're their product or solution is solving or their research. So by using story, it's a way that if you screw up a story in any way, it's your story. Nobody knows. So it also makes you a lot more comfortable on stage presenting it. But I mean, we're hardwired as humans to appreciate story. So it was a way to take a lot of the risk out of comedy and to make it a lot less painful for me hmm. and hopefully the audience. Yeah, your, your very first chapter in the book is start with a story, which I think surprises a lot of people. We think of, let's say, Bob Hope, Back in that day, comedy was maybe more about one-liners. Exactly. But uh, now, today, among mo almost all comedians, story is the foundation of their humor. Why is that? Yeah, 100%. Well, because one, the most powerful thing you can ever do when you're in any form of public speaking is to allow the person that's listening to the information to see themselves in your shoes. So to relate to you and make some form of connection. And if they do that and you deliver it in the form of a story, it's more memorable. So not only do they relate to your little sli uh, slice of humanity that you're sharing with them or that shared experience, it's also now more memorable. So they actually have something to take away and tell their friends. They remember a bit more about you as a performer or the presenter. I remember going to see comedians that were very, very funny for an hour, but 
because they were doing set up punchline jokes, my mind just literally couldn't remember. I remember laughing. I remember that they were funny. But if the ultimate goal of a comedian or public speaker is to be memorable and to generate some form of action in people, if you're delivering information in a way that isn't by itself intrinsically memorable, then you're in a bit of trouble. So we're seeing comedians these days in a way to relate to people is going back to story. And, and my, to be honest, my, my favorite comedians have always done that. Hmm. So you're recommending, as you just mentioned, to essentially brainstorm the stories, your personal stories, that could have a humorous aspect to them. What, um, how do you start that kind of list? What things should trigger your thinking? Well, because I know if someone's listening to this now, they'll be like, oh, I have no funny stories. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. And everyone always says the same thing. And, you know, I had nothing. When I, I took out my smartphone at the start, and comedians are great for doing this, they literally have a smartphone, and they'll have a list, and it's titled Funny Stories. And every time they hear a story, a joke, they see something crazy, they hear somebody make a comment that they think is really entertaining, they will stop in that very moment so they don't forget it and write it down. Or it will jog memories from their past that they totally forget forgot about so like even i i think i had lived in 12 countries at the time i started this and visited over 50 studied a bunch of languages like in theory uncomfortable weird stuff and stories should have probably happened to me that are funny and i couldn't remember any if you put me on the spot but if you view this as something you do over a period of of weeks and months and and to be honest continuously then you end up with a very very long pile of things that you can always call on um, and I, I honestly, myself, I never thought that would be the case. And now it's just a matter of taking those stories and finding a way to shoehorn them into your presentation uh, in any way you can. So you're like, I really like this. I know people like listening to it. It's a funny story. I'm going to link it to a business topic and use it in my presentation. And it's always easier than you think to do that, no matter how far flung the topic seems. And it's... You say it's better to do that with your own personal stories that you're very familiar with rather than either someone else's stories or even, like, uh, as you said, you've been traveling the world and a lot of times you've, it's put you in funny situations, but in your in your experiment in, in the comedy circuit, you get a lot b bigger laughs from your the personal stories that are about everyday life, like what happened at the grocery store today. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like, not everybody's been around the world traveling and been in those crazy situations, but everybody's had a strange interaction in the grocery store at some stage in life. Or everybody, I mean, the easiest way to mine for it, if you can't think of anything right now, is think of the first time you really screwed something up. You really <laughs> failed, like, doing something. The first time you were trying to learn a new skill and how miserable you were at it like anything you were really embarrassed about in life ever does i guarantee you there's something funny in there and it didn't seem funny at the time <laughs> you were probably emotionally traumatized by whatever was going on at the time but now looking back at it those things you're generally able to share and then the nice thing with those in a leadership position is you're normally in a position of power uh, and and people are looking up to you and you want to be relatable Especially if you're in your position of power, one of the easiest ways to do that is make fun of yourself a little bit or share the more human side of yourself. And an easy way to do that is talking about some embarrassing things in your past because everybody can relate to that experience. Well, bef before we go on to how, how to add humor to the story, uh, can you give us some tips just on storytelling itself? How do you tell a successful story? Yeah, I think... So a lot of people have a great way of overcomplicating uh, this one and, and writing books and books and books about it. And to be honest, and some great wise words I borrowed from a guy called Bill Grunfist, 
who has a, was one of the early writers on Mad About You and has a, you know a bunch of very prestigious awards to his name. He basically said every single great story can be broken down to this: who wants what, and what stops them from getting it. And basically, every the theme of every movie you'll ever see or any great story comes down to that: who wants what, and what stops them from getting it. So there's a main character, and there's someone stopping the main character from getting someone. Who are they and, and what is at stake here? And I think the great way to tell a story is just to start in the action. So literally, if there's a car crash and that's the key part of the story, start with the car slamming into a wall or whatever it happens, work backwards to set the scene on how you got there and then give them whatever key takeaway or finish you have that lets them know that the story is over. So you really want to tell it in a short, succinct sequence that starts right in the action. And I think then you're just trying to add in details that allow people to see themselves in the story. And that's the most powerful thing you can do. So sometimes, you know, if you're going to say, oh, I got in my car, like nobody can really visualize that. But if you say I got in my old car, the first car I had, it was red, it was beat up. Then the audience automatically are mining their experiences to think what was the first old car they got in or what's their idea of a car. And suddenly they're coming along for the ride in your story. And so I think the key thing is just building it up, start in the action and try and get an end to the story. Write it with the ending in mind or tell it with the ending in mind and know very much where you're going with it and and have some key characters in there. Hmm. So you've got a story or a handful of stories that you're going to work into a given communication. The next step is to add humor. Uh, So extracting the main funny item from that story. How do you go about doing that? But to be honest, you you tell it to your family and friends or your colleagues or you test it a bit or you try and take stories that you know if you're at a Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, people normally laugh at this funny part of the story. And once you've identified the part that normally makes people laugh, even a little bit, like a little laugh at a dinner or a social occasion is probably a big laugh in a conference setting where people are normally bored out of their mind. <laughs> by 90% of the speakers out there. So even by by delivering a little bit of a laugh, you become a bit of a hero in that setting. So, I mean, you're not trying to be Jerry Seinfeld. You're not really trying to be funny. You're just trying to be fun first and pick out some engagement. And the key thing is just take those stories, literally write them out, uh, which sounds a little bit painful, but it forces you to be short and concise and ask yourself, well, which part is the key funny part and how do I get there in less words? Um, and basically, that's what comedians are, are really, really skilled at doing, is stripping the story down to its essential components in a writing style. You know, Shakespeare was big on saying brevity is levity. And comedians are the living embodiment of doing that with stories. They're like, we're going to tell you a story, but in the shortest form, because I know in 12 seconds, you're going to be bored of listening to it unless I tell it in the right way. So it's get to that punchline fast. A key thing for delivering that the business speakers don't often do is be very wary of the word structure and delaying that funny component. So if there's a good example in the book in saying if the key to your story is there's a cat in the box, then you really want to hide the fact that there's a cat in the box till the end and go out of your way to structure the sentence. So the key word, in this case, cat, is at the very end of the sentence. And that way the audience is allowed to laugh as they realize your key component. You don't want to be talking over their laughter because then you reduce the laugh. So you would say, and in that box there was a cat. 
And that sounds really weird to say, but it sounds totally natural to your audience. And it means that the surprise in the story or the key funny part is kept until the end. And that means you, you basically up the chances of them laughing because you're allowing time in your structure of the sentence to build in a pause for them to, to take it in and appreciate it, hopefully. Hmm. We talked a little bit earlier about the structure of a story, but what's the structure of a joke? I don't think most of us have actually, other than comedians, have stopped to think about that. Yeah, it's funny. And I, I would make the argument that modern day storytelling is joke telling because the two of them have been so combined with, with comedians like Bill Burr out there and Louis C.K. who are very much storytellers as well. But the, the structure of a joke is essentially setting it up in a way that allows you to tell the joke. So an opening statement, and that's going to get you to the punchline, which is your key funny, which still follows the same story format. And then within joke structure, they call taglines additional lines or additional funny laugh lines after the main joke itself. So they might not be as big, but it's any comments you make after the laugh itself. And um, so it's a three-pound structure, and I guess... The best way of guaranteeing a laugh using that structure is to make sure the components are not one, two, three in a sequence. That sequence should be more like one, two, four. So your audience, as they're listening to the story unfold or the joke unfold, they shouldn't be able to predict the third item in the sequence. It should be like a number four. And they're like, oh, well, what happened to three? Well, what's that surprise there? So the laugh comes in storytelling and joke telling from essentially sending a train down the tracks. And the first elements of the story allow people to assume that they think they know where the, this train is going. And the third element in your sequence is going to derail that train and flip their expectations a little bit. So you really try and set up your story to have a surprise twist in it or your joke in a way that people don't see coming. And it's very easy to do that, even with general statements, if you do them in patterns of tree. So if I say I went on a date last night with a girl and she was amazing and wonderful and hairy, <laughs> just like that was a, it'll make you laugh a little bit. Uh, and it's just using that same method. So the third item in the sequence shatters the expectation of the sequence because one and two are creating an image in your mind that you think you know where it's going. And, you know, that's a silly example, but even the hairy in that is enough to flip your expectations because the first two items don't lead itself to saying that word. So it's taken the, the old power of three communication principle and using it for humorous purposes. A hundred percent, yeah. And the third item in that sequence is always the funny item. And if you play around with that, it's never as funny. Like two, five, any other sequence of numbers. Three is a magic one for comedy. It's also one Irish people can't pronounce, as your listeners have figured out by now. <laughs> Every time I say three, Irish people are just like, what did he say? I'm not sure about that. But it's always the third element in the sequence. And if you want to describe anything, rather than describing it in one word, describe it in three. And it's automatically more memorable. And if that third item is a flip of expectations compared to the first two and is greatly different, then you're normally going to get a laugh out of that item as well. Well, we're touching a bit on the the concepts that you talk about in the third chapter, right funny, where yeah. you you've so we've listed some stories and we we kind of keep we maintain a list of, of stories that um, might lend themselves to some business communication, and then you uh, crystallize what you think is going to be funny in those stories, and then you write them out, which helps us to actually structure it in a way and, ma and maximize the the humorous effect. Yeah. What are some other, and we, so we talked about this, the, the power of three, what are some other uh, writing techniques that you, we can use to refine the story? Yeah, the, honestly, the, well, the key one, number one, is just stripping words out. Like, what needs to be in there? If it's a detail that doesn't need to be there, it has to go. 
Yeah, I mean, the most powerful one, I would say, is the one we touched on, which is putting the key funny component at the end of the sentence. And there's a great example link I will I'll give you, and we can add it to the show notes, with President Obama doing just that. But I mean, at the highest, highest levels, these guys are using the exact same structure, where they're setting an open tree, they're breaking a pattern, uh, and they're leaving the keyword to the end. And by doing that, everybody goes, oh, his delivery and timing was really, really good. And you're like, well, it wasn't his delivery and timing, really. It was more the fact that he just structured it in a way that it allowed the audience to laugh. So I would say that I think for me, that's the biggest one. And it made the biggest difference to me personally, because otherwise what a lot of business speakers do is they hit on a laugh and they just keep going and they ignore the fact there's an expression I really like called the end of laughter is followed by the height of listening. So the most engaged your audience members are ever going to be is when you say something funny because you just give them a hit of dopamine and they want more. So like, ooh, he was funny. Maybe he'll make funny again. Let's listen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, now all of a sudden they're all ears. And the thing is, if you just made them laugh, if you start to talk again now because they're engaged, they're going to go silent really, really quickly to see what you have to say. And so it's very much finding those laugh lines and knowing when to be quiet. And by, by doing so, everybody in the audience is going to say, well, his timing was really good. And you're going to see that. And I mean, Ken Robinson's Ted talk is the highest viewed in the world at the, at the moment. And if you watch that talk, you're going to see him using all the techniques we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes. I mean, he's using that structure. He's using short personal stories and you watch it and you're like, does he know where they're likely to laugh? And you'll say to yourself, absolutely. Like I'm looking at this, I know he's likely to laugh. I know he knows where the audience is going to laugh. And in knowing that, he pauses to facilitate that and he looks like a much better speaker. And that talk is epic, not taking anything away from him. But I guess the point in my my book is you look at these talks and they seem so inaccessible. You're like, there's no way I can replicate what they're doing. But if you understand the techniques behind and the structure they're using, nearly all of them can be traced back to the world of comedy and all of them are repeatable. So there's a we've really only scratched the surface on on what's in the book, but the the main idea is that biz the the top business speakers and business leaders today are communicating in a way that uses humor, and they're actually using techniques and structures that real life comedians have. A hundred percent, yeah, and a lot of them aren't aware of it, and awareness to that allows you to do it much quicker and they're not doing it to be funnier and to be honest i think they're doing it to be more engaging so all forms of content at the moment and all forms of of any communication have one big problem it's engagement it's opening rates it's action rates it's grabbing people's attention and humor for humor's sake really isn't worth it but humor i mean it is for fun for the rest of us but it doesn't (laughs) have as much of a business impact as engagement so I even found with the business I have that if we sold humor for humor's sake, nobody's interested, but humor has proven to drive engagement and that it certainly does in, in all these leadership talks at the moment because you can see the results with the view counts. The ones that are the most engaging are viewed as the most successful. And that's where humor and the techniques from comedians give you a big, big helping hand. And because a lot of people have never broke it down before, comedians themselves, even the ones I've talked to, it's very hard to get them to explain what they're doing. It's like pulling back the curtain on the process that they kind of just inherently learned by watching people. And I just wanted to see, all right, can I talk to as many of these guys as I can for a year and get a kind of structure around it that the average person can read and go, okay, I can do this. Like, I'm not going to be Jerry Seinfeld. And you read my book, you're 100% not going to be Jerry (laughs) Seinfeld. Um, But you can definitely get up on a stage all of a sudden and go, oh, I I can do this really quickly. And now I know what I was doing wrong. 
Uh, and that's what I wanted to kind of to leave behind out of the project and to make it justifiable for taking a year off and doing some very strange things. <laughs> well, the book again is Do You Talk Funny? This is actually the second edition of the book, David. The, the first time you wrote it and you uh, put all, all these great principles and, and processes in it. But uh, in your next edition, you, you upped the ante. Tell us about that. I didn't follow my own advice whatsoever <laughs> in the first book. I'm such a lunatic. I spent all this time writing a book. And I think a problem a lot of people have is when they're writing or producing any form of content is they just focus on getting all the information in there and they forget that the average person doesn't need all that information really, wants a section of it, but it also needs to be delivered in an engaging story formatted way that allows people to remember it and tell it for you. And I yeah, I didn't even mention that I pretended to be a comedian for a full year uh, to find out this stuff. I just wrote it. I never put my own story out there in any way. And, and what started to happen was people would come back to me and and tell me my story, but they'd tell it wrong. And I'd be like, what did you read the book? And I'd be like, yeah, but it was just tips and techniques. And it just wasn't as engaging. I mean, it still did really well, surprisingly. And it was like an Amazon bestseller for quite a long time. Um, but now I went back, I rewrote it. I was like, all right, I have to practice what I preached in this book. And my own story, I suppose, in my defense, hadn't reached its natural conclusion. Uh, and now it had. So, yeah, it's funny. Even the back of the book mattered, the description. Nothing ever said that I pretended to be a comedian called Irish Dave and made all these fake websites <laughs> and crashed all these comedy clubs. Like, I didn't even mention it. And I have no idea how somebody didn't grab me and go, you, that is the key point to this experiment. Otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> How do you explain what you were doing, in a, especially in a funny manner? And, of course, to make it worse, I put the word funny on the cover, which, of course, doesn't create any pressure to be funny whatsoever. So now if I give a talk anywhere, I'm in a world of trouble. They're like, oh, you wrote a book about funny. Go for it. I'm like, oh, no. So, yeah, if you think it's bad at your business speaking gig, like, just write the word funny on your next presentation and stand up there and see how that goes. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, at least it forces me to practice what I preach. But so I rewrote it all that. Uh, partnered with a publisher and new ones coming back out and yeah it's been really positive so far i was really nervous watching the reviews to say all right did i get the story now and you know, now it's cool now the information is left with them in an actionable way but it's wrapped in a story and in them telling my story for me uh, i don't have to focus on much as, as marketing because it becomes a, a lot more natural and a lot more organic that people tell your story for you and i think that's the cool thing as a leader anyone with a product anyone with a project anyone with a service that if you can have your audience, your fans, and your customers tell your story for you, then you don't need to invest in much as marketing that story. You create the story, you tell it, and they basically become your distribution of that story, if you tell it well. Well, it's interesting to see the reviews coming in so far on the new book. Uh, people in the public speaking world, trainers and uh, presentation <laughs> yeah. creators that are saying this is the number one book on how to develop a presentation. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. It, it's so ironic because, like, you know, they've put years into public speaking. They know much better than me, but I guess the one core component of a talk that none of them were tackling was the humorous side of it. And all of them feel the pressure to be humorous because, you know, if you go on at a conference or you do a training and you're up after the funny person you don't want to be on stage after the funny person like it just doesn't feel as good and you, yeah and so i guess yeah it's, it's really cool to see the reviews and they're like oh i know a lot about this i didn't think i'd learn anything but here's some really cool stuff i learned and then they write like half a chapter or half a page on the song. <laughs> so it's been really cool I, i've liked it a lot and you know for me the, the goal of writing it wasn't to get famous in any way or doing the experiment like everything i did under fake names so most of it couldn't be tracked back to me anyway like there's no videos of me online anywhere even though i was doing like tv pilot 
silent recordings and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I did the mod storytelling competition on NPR. Like I never gave them the rights to do anything. Ironically, I'm hosting that uh, tomorrow night, uh, which is a big, big storytelling community event, which is pretty ironic. But yeah, the goal was never really to, to get famous for doing it. It was just to try and help people and in doing so help ridding the world of boring presentations. Because like, I produce a conference, I go to conferences, I'm like, I know the speaker wasn't trying to be boring. I just, But I also know nobody gave him some quick tips uh, just to improve it really rapidly. So I structured the book in a way that I think if you don't want to read the whole book, just go to the back. Here's like 80 tips. You can apply them straight away and you'll get better quicker. And I, I should say, actually, and, and we can put a link in the show notes, you can get that for free. And so you don't even have to read the book to get those 80 tips. I have a download where you can get that for free by just putting in your email. And so I really wanted just to get it out there and help as many people as possible. So hopefully it works. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, David, in addition to being an author and a public speaker, you're the founder of Funny Biz. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was another wacky idea as well. I wasn't <laughs> planning on doing, but I just I met so many people along the way that were amazingly good writers. So that and they developed a lot of those writing skills through stand-up comedy. So as they were trying to become funnier, they were becoming better writers, which is one thing I saw in common. But a lot of them were dropping out of the world of comedy. Were, were given up because they weren't making an income to it. The better ones, a lot of the time, financially moved into copywriting or some sort of humor writing and were paid extremely well by agencies to do it. But that was very few. So I wanted to to solve both problems on either side. A lot of businesses wanted to use comedic writing copy that they could basically get talent to help them up the engagement and make it a bit more funny and engagement. And there was a lot of very skilled, humorous writers out there that didn't really know how to get in touch with the business community um, to get work. So we started Funny Biz, which was basically a way of sending us any form of written content. And we use comedy writers to make it funnier, uh, which has been great. And we started a conference along the way as well, which, which teaches people how to incorporate humor storytelling and improv into content production and we've been doing that for two years now in san francisco and new york which has been great hmm. so the the writing platform aspect of funny biz um where people in the business community can take something they've written and and s- submit it and your your writers will sort of boost the humor aspect um and uh, we've actually used you in our consulting work at Espendale Communications. Yeah, and I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> you had to tell me like two months later, oh, by the way, thanks for that work you did for us. I was like, oh, uh, I didn't realize that was you. You know, it was an interesting experiment for us because uh, we, we were a little bit unsure, like, okay, do these guys get that business communications, while there's a, a room to be to add humor and lighten things up that would definitely help, uh, it, we can't have four-letter words in it. And yep. there are all sorts of things that you see comedians do that you just know would not be appropriate or effective in the business world. Yep. And it, I mean, it, what we got, what you, we worked with you on a video that we were scripting and producing, and it, it definitely improved the engagement value of that video script. Well, that's it. We work with very business savvy guys who are behind, like not just comedians, but who've been behind leading advertising campaigns in every form of work of business. So they're very good at, at not crossing the line, but their key metric is not laughs, it's engagement. So it's like they're not trying to shoehorn in humor for the sake of it, but they just look at it and go, where can we lighten the tone here? Where does it sound something that more might have come from an informative, respectable friend as opposed to somebody who's trying to make you laugh? And yeah, we've done, we've done all sorts of stuff that's come way that you're like you cannot make that funnier and I'm like, oh yeah 
these guys can. And <laughs> every time, I love it because I, I laugh reading it. Like, I think I read a communications white paper at least 10 times. That's something I would never do voluntarily in life. But <laughs> after one of our writers punched it up, I was like, this is gold. Like, I hope to do it. And, you know, it was the same as you guys. It was a big company. This one was a publicly traded company. It's a white paper. You can imagine there's a lot of work going into to writing that behind the scenes. But we just break it up in a way that allows them to create multiple little pieces of content out of that one big piece of long content and then they can put it out over all mediums and they tend to get better engagement that way so yeah it's been it's been fun to see it was very much organic and it's very much an idea that people are like oh i like that uh, <laughs> for the most part so it gave me a bit more confidence to pursue it but yeah we'll eventually make it like a, a very 99 designs orientated site where I'm not the person blocking the way to the creative process at the moment. So at the moment, there's a team list that actually filter that and and match the writers with the companies. But when we have enough writers on there of a high enough quality and standard that are very reliable, we'll just open it up as a platform so we're not getting in the way. Yeah, cool. Well, the book again is Do You Talk Funny? Seven Comedy Habits to Become a Better and Funnier Public Speaker. We've been speaking with David Nihill. David, um, for folks who are listening who want to get your book or join your audience, where can they find you on the web and how should they connect with you? Yeah, a lot of the content from the book is on 7comedyhabits.com, and that's the number 7comedyhabits.com. Uh, you can get a lot. You can get the free tips there. There's a workbook to go with it. You can find more info on the work there. A lot of this stuff focused on general business as opposed to public speaking. We have it funnybiz.co, uh, that's with two Zs, and that'll link to the conference as well. And on Twitter, I'm at funnybizsf, which is the worst Twitter handle I've ever seen, um, but I'm <laughs> going to keep it <laughs> with two Zs. But yeah, I'm on there. If you need to get in touch with me, just drop me a line. I'll get back. Fantastic. David Nihill, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you. All right, Engagers. Be sure to check out the book, Do You Talk Funny? by David Nihill. I found it to be fun to read myself, and I plan to refer to it every time I develop a new presentation. It's a great vaccine for death by PowerPoint. If you go to our show notes for this episode on engagingleader.com, you'll see the information and links that David mentioned, including 80 free tips from the book and the Funny Biz website as well as the three videos that he mentioned on YouTube, President Obama using the joke structure, the Ken Robinson example, and the joke structure in TED Talks. This is a production of Asmodale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find us at AspinaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs>